1: What is up, everyone? This is a talking Orange podcast. I'm Dylan Feiner, and today I will be joined by my co-host Bobby Manning to break down the week in Syracuse basketball and preview the upcoming matchup with the Florida State Seminoles. Without further ado, let's talk Orange.
0: up the shot it's too long and syracuse is your national champion
1: What's up, everyone? We are recording an episode of Unpeeling Syracuse Basketball. Uh, here, this is the Talkin' Orange podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Finer, with my co-host here, Bobby Manning. Bobby, what's up, man?
2: Welcome to the eve of the Florida State game. We'll, we'll have this on the morning of 8 o'clock tip over at the Dome. I'll be there. Are you going to be there tomorrow night?
1: I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'll be there. Uh, $2 student tickets. They did the whole pr- promo with the... Uh, Temperature outside is the price of the ticket. was yeah, so, so
2: stupid. My roommate called them up and was like, All right, what's the degree right now? It's just, they said two. He's like, All right. Like, just buy the ticket right there,
1: $2. Right, yeah, definitely. you to. got to just take the ticket, I guess, uh, for that price. I mean, I I was kind of thinking they're a little out of touch. Why don't they just give it away for free at that point? What, do they need to milk another $2 out of the students? Or, or pay people to go at that point if it gets down below zero. <laughs> right, right, right. They, they actually posted a clarifying tweet following uh, the original announcement of the promo to say, hey, if it's below zero, It's $1,
2: guys. Now, now here's the thing. If we're actually throwing some, like, economics into this, I think you have a valid point in that, you know, even just, like, charging $2 is going to discourage people from going because people hate paying for things. Even if it's $1, $2, what's the difference between $2 and $0? I'm with you here. Right,
1: and, I mean, we don't want to talk about our age too much because, you know, (laughs) we might be giving away a little bit of our – I don't know. Our expertise here, people might say we're a little young. However, I don't. I think that we can say or speak on behalf of millennials here or uh, other people our age and say that free stuff is always a good way to get people to come out and show love. Uh, and then the second that it's any bit of money, it doesn't matter anymore. It could have been $5 as much, like $2 from $5, that doesn't move the needle.
2: Yeah, and that's me on
1: Super Bowl night. My...
2: My direction toward where I was going to be going last night was directly dictated by where the free food was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so t- tomorrow night, Syracuse needs to guide people toward the Carrier Dome, get the attendance up above 25,000 by giving away tickets for free. That's what they need to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. And speaking of the Super Bowl, congratulations. Oh, thank you.
2: Yeah, I think people will look back on this and say it was the most thrilling, exciting, and Captivating Super Bowl victory in history.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, just uh, to circle this around. Well, obviously not. First of all, <laughs> sorry. Just just caught what you said there. And to circle this back to Syracuse, did you see the pictures of uh, Jim Jim and uh, Buddy wearing the Patriots jerseys? Well, this
2: is important because I know no one listening to this podcast and you in particular are unhappy about what happened to the Patriots, but Jim Beheim himself is, and Buddy Beheim will be as well. How does that impact how you view this?
1: Well, all right. So I don't want to alienate any of our audience, but I absolutely hate the Patriots. Uh, I hate that Jim Beheim is a Patriots fan, and I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. Let's erase the picture from the Internet. Let's erase it from our minds. That didn't happen. Last night didn't happen. We're moving forward. And if I'm going to add another layer to the that as well, we
2: as Patriots fans have to deal with the fact that the organization, you know, takes a little bit of liking to the man in the Oval Office. So we have to we have to deal with that as well over here. So <laughs> yeah. I'll adapt that one step further to what the victory meant last night. But uh, let's talk about the Syracuse Orange, which is what we do here on this show. I'm I'm thrilled about this game tomorrow, not only because it's always fun when a top 25 team comes to the Dome, but these two teams stylistically clash in an interesting way to me.
1: Yeah, for sure. And we'll definitely get into this deeper uh, as the show goes along. Um, But, yeah, tomorrow is going to be an interesting game, you know. Like, as you're saying stylistically, uh, FSU kind of protects the rim real well. And, you know, Syracuse tries to do the same by keeping people out of the paint and forcing people to shoot over them. Uh, So tomorrow should be a tough contest.
2: Yeah, usually the talent on the court is going to – push a game in a certain direction, and Syracuse has done that by going back to Pascal Chukwu at center, and teams are trying to take more threes against them, and all of a sudden the inside becomes more complicated to play in. Florida State all year long has had fantastic interior defense to the point where teams are taking more and more threes against them. You look at their splits through conference play, tons of threes against them, not a lot of points or shots taken inside the arc, so... Yeah, I feel like those are two things that both of these teams do well, and they're going to have to try to navigate around their own game. And, you know, Florida State's more of a man team. Syracuse is a zone team, but they do the same thing in different ways.
1: Yeah, and interesting to note that uh, Syracuse is actually 4.5-point favorite tomorrow, despite not being in the top 25 rankings. So um, to circle this back around to the ticket prices, uh, I guess I guess the— Uh, the lines makers are expecting the dome to be packed
2: well if we're throwing it
1: back to last year i think that's one of the games when we look back at
2: last year that syracuse should have won you got 30 points from battle on that one you pushed it to overtime i thought you played that fantastic tournament team particularly well on the road in a tough environment and they're 10 and 1 at home this year two and three on the road now that that flips back this way I think it's going to be an advantage for the orange going into this one. And I actually, you know, as the predictions come out tomorrow with this, I'm taking the orange in this one. So I'm going to have to pick Syracuse again, not by a large margin. But when they win this year, they're winning by six points, four points. You know, they're getting multiple possessions on these teams. And I like the way they play on the road. They're, what, five and one now on the road, ten and whatever they are at home. So they're going to have to defend home court with the same sort of focus and tenacity that they played on the road. And the favorite for the Orange in this one, I think that shows that, you know, even though Florida State's a top 25 team, the Orange have something themselves coming into this one.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, last uh, last game against Pittsburgh was as easy money as it gets. Uh, with if If you folks like to... Put uh, put any cheese on the games. Put any dough on the games. It's one
2: of my favorite conversations every game day. Yeah,
1: um, so definitely uh, for me, this four and a half point line isn't as cash as uh, as the Pittsburgh game line was of only three points. Um, but. Uh, I might like it here. It puts you in a tough position, and usually
2: when you're in a tough position, I always stay away from these things. But if I was in a position of possibly getting into one of these things, I'd say stay away. But if I'm just picking the game from a noon's perspective, which is something I do do, I'm going to take Syracuse in this one. So let's dig into this game, this matchup. As we bounce off the road trip... What did that road trip tell you about this team before? They're they're destroyed in the first game, and then they bounce back and take care of the two games that they should have.
1: Right, yeah, so that's, yeah. We started with Boston College, which it feels like forever ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, And Tyus Battle took over in that one. And so you kind of had two completely different Tyus Battles. You had the Tyus Battle and the team with him, just, you know, the entire offense running through him. And then you had the game against Pittsburgh where he couldn't get anything to drop and against Boston College the huge storyline was him stepping up into the point guard role as Frank Howard didn't even play down the stretch Frank Howard actually only played 21 minutes and it wasn't that he was playing poorly but it was that the entire Syracuse offense was running through Tyus Battle he was distributing well he had five assists in the first half just give him the ball and let him make plays. And Buddy Bayheim was shooting the ball well, yeah. so you let Tyus make the play. And Buddy Beheim's a nice leak-out sniper on the perimeter, knocked down a few threes for us in that game. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, credit to Jim Bayheim here especially. Uh, I think that, like, you know, just to give Jim Beheim a shout-out for his decision-making – Um, That was an awesome call moving ties to point guard for that game.
2: Yeah, and we talked about this on the preview of the Pittsburgh game. How much is that adaptation going to continue to move forward between the BC and the Pitt game? And it really did continue right into that first half, and there was so much momentum for the Orange offense in that first half. They got 35 points on the board right away. It looks like they're heading toward another 70-point night, and they hit that skid in the second half. Battle in particular continued to go through shooting woes between the first half and the second half, but he also wasn't able to play off the pressure that was getting to him. And pretty much once the game started to speed up, as Pittsburgh got out and leaked out in transition and got behind the defense and had that 11 nothing push, the Orange kind of got out of their themselves on both ends of the court there was a defensive breakdown and that seemed to leak into the offense so you know they still had 30 points in the second half they still sealed it i thought it was overall a solid offensive night for them not as good as the bc one but what do you think worked in the first half versus what didn't work in the second half for them
1: you're talking against pitt yeah yeah against pitt i mean so obviously you didn't have ties going but you had o'shea going mm-hmm. And O'Shea's face-up game in particular was uh, really effective. And uh, if you're speaking specifically to the first half, you're talking Pascal Chukwu, who had eight points, right? Mm -hmm. Just in the first half alone. And for some reason, I mean, help me figure this one out, but it looked like Syracuse was trying to get Pascal involved offensively, making a concerted effort to do so. Did you see that? And
2: I think that's something the battle brings to the table as I start to see the differences between him and Howard and the way they play point guard battle has always as a ball handler loved pulling the centers up setting screens and using those to get his baskets howard is more hesitant to go through those guys Mm. and we've seen the disasters that can happen when you put the ball in those hands guys and guys hands and battle has seen it too but he seems to have more of a level of trust and connection with these guys and a willingness to try it out whereas howard has seen these things happen over three four years now and
1: He's not going to go in that direction. You know what is the storyline here that we might be um, not talking about is Tyus Battles as a threat when he's getting a screen versus Frank Howard right now. Are teams just not seeing Frank Howard as a threat to score the basketball when he's getting screened for? Uh, Maybe. Maybe that's why the bigs are so much more open off of the Tyus screens.
2: And maybe it's not something Howard isn't doing because we know he's able to get in there and hit floaters and he uses that in-between game, but Battle is about as good as it gets in-between there. I mean, his sweet spot is that elbow area, the right. 15-foot range, so there's definitely a massive amount of defensive awareness that when he's going around a screen, he's going to pull up on a dime, and he's, that's the best part of his game, really, is getting around the big man and pulling up. So Definitely. It, it really is isn't about what howard does versus what battle does in terms of who's better but the team playing the team plays different when both of those guys are on the ball and you got to start to identify some of those differences so when syracuse wants to go in a certain direction in these games they're capable of doing so and so in that second half did you see the ball going back to howard more Versus the first, because all of the battles assists were coming in that first half. Right.
1: Yeah. So it was weird, right? Two straight games we had this last week between BC and Pitt. We had Tyus get five assists in the first half of both games, Mm -hmm. and then I think he only had one. uh, He had no assists in the second half of the Pitt game, and just one in the second half of the BC game. And I don't know what that is in against pit, I saw Tyus going, you know, I need to snap back into it, I need to take this game over, and I need to win this game for the team. And I think that that just caused him to drive a little bit, and I, I didn't necessarily see him forcing it, I'm not trying to suggest that, but I think Tyus really made a concerted effort to, you know, get himself going. Um, but yeah, Howard Howard looked good, I thought, especially on the defensive end in the second half, and that led to some offense for the team, getting out in transition a little bit more, especially when the team needed baskets after the slow start.
2: And here's the trade-offs they're going to have to deal with when it comes to whether they use the battle sets versus the Howard sets, because as we know, Howard's not on the floor a lot of the time when they are running the offense through battle. They're going to surround battle with shooters and try to take advantage of the attention he gets so he can dish it out to those guys. Uh, When Howard's on the floor, they are the best version of themselves defensively because he communicates so well, because I think he's their best defensive perimeter player. And his awareness, ball-stealing capabilities, all those things are so essential to who they are as a defensive team.
1: Right, think Duke in overtime.
2: Yeah, if they want to be the best version of themselves, Howard's going to have to be out there in the most important moments of this game. And we're pulling away from Howard a little bit. How about giving him credit for the two straight threes he hit when the game got within three points? He really saved himself from a potential disaster at the end of that one. So he did his share in that game. All this really boils down to, we're not having a debate here, is it Howard, Is is it Battle? We're seeing that this team has more options, more balance more capabilities than the group last year. I mean, they have different options in terms of lineups,
1: in terms of ball handlers. That was not even imaginable last year. Right, right, right. So here's something to get into real fast. Now, we have the capability, we Syracuse has the capability of going more than seven deep, but Jim Beheim is sort of refusing to go more than seven deep. Now, it's been Buddy or it's been Jalen as that seventh guy. Uh, as the rotational guard, and Jim Bayheim actually just came out during the pre- uh, 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 during the teleconference today and said it's one or the other, and we decided on a game by game basis. Now, Tyus obviously interesting you Ty- said that today, huh? right? Tyus's emergence at the point guard spot and his capabilities as a distributor and running the offense has kind of bumped Jalen out of that role a little bit because when Frank leaves the floor, Tyus will take over, and then Buddy Beheim slips in there. And he fits real nicely as a sharpshooter type, and he's not—he's uh, been better on defense recently. I've had—I've seen some people suggesting that he might be a plus defender now, and I don't buy that, but. Uh, he, he isn't a negative defender. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he's, an, he's fine on defense, and then spaces the floor well on offense, and he'll knock down the shots when he's open.
2: When I see Buddy Beheim defensively, and I've been impressed with what I've seen on that end from him so far, I think a positioning. He knows his own well. Mm. He's probably been around his whole life in yeah. that household, and he puts himself in the spots where he can make those plays. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a particularly physically gifted... He won't
1: make the plays Howard does. Yeah,
2: and Howard seen the pace and the tendencies of players that he's going against and so much of the system over these past four years that that inherently gives him an, a, him an advantage there. But the fact that you can put Beheim in there and he won't be a negative yeah. so far is huge, you know, because he's given you the plus on offense and he just keeps drilling threes, which you can't overstate enough. As we begin to differentiate this team from last year's team, they are now at 36% three-point shooting team they're in ACC They're 36 on play. the season now? No, an oh, wow, ACC, ACC play. Okay, okay. So they're in the upper echelon of ACC teams when it comes to three-point shooting. They're fourth in the league. So that inherently is going to be something to watch for in this Florida State game because Florida State has a great rim protector. They pack it in. Teams don't take a lot of two-pointers against them. So you're going to have to not just take threes in this. You're going to have to generate good threes and use that to get a victory and I don't think they're going to be able to win this game without
1: doing that right. fortunately I think they've shown that they can do that this year right yeah Buddy Boeheim, uh just to speak to your point on the three point shooting improving Buddy Beheim a huge reason for that 17 of 33 which is 51.5% since ACC play started <laughs> He has become an absolute sniper. This is what we wanted from Buddy Bayheim coming in. And seriously, to see him pull this together in conference play, when the competition gets as stiff as it will get all season, this grind, uh, this has been really awesome, especially in his freshman year.
2: Yeah, and if we're looking at how these two teams stack up, defensively they're fairly similar. I believe they're both a 93 in terms of Ken Palm defensive rating. So they both defend the paint well. They both push teams out of the interior and force them to go take perimeter shots. So it's going to come down to which two of these teams can generate the quality three-point looks in the dome, which mm. is a
1: different environment when it comes to shooting. Yeah, Leonard Hamilton spoke to that. He's actually said, uh, he actually said something along the lines of, um, we know that the depth perception will be thrown off, so they're already thinking about it. And that's something I think about with the Syracuse team too, who does
2: feature a lot of new players as far as shooters go: Dolajai, Hughes, Beheim. Like these are guys who are just starting to take that three point shot a lot in the Carrier Dome. You now, how much has that impacted this team when it comes to a home versus road split this year? Because they've been phenomenal on the road, five mm-hmm. and one now. At homes where they've swept up, the Georgia Tech game, the old Dominion game, those type of games. So that's probably impacts Syracuse, too, more than we think, even though they're more used to this. Right,
1: yeah, definitely. This three-game road trip, I mean, we saw Syracuse shooting the ball pretty well from deep. Yeah, except the Virginia Tech game. Except for the Virginia Tech, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
2: nothing went right in that
1: one. Yeah, you're right. And you see Justin Robinson uh, hurt his foot. He was in a walking boot. Really? Yeah, interesting development. And he was the
2: player of the week that week, I believe, in, in the ACC.
1: Um, yeah, so I it might have been Alexander Walker, but nonetheless, uh, Buzz Williams uh, said he R- Robinson was going to be out indefinitely. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that week, the week yeah, we lost the to week him. The week they lost him, yeah. Right, Nikhil, So it's back to back weeks for Virginia Tech players. They're getting hot, man. <sighs> um, but yeah, Buzz Williams said Justin Robinson out indefinitely. Uh, so I mean. You, you don't want to see players go down. But uh, Justin Robinson, he's a hes a hell of a player. Uh, so, I don't know, kind of ACC pride here. I root for the best for Virginia Tech as long as they're not playing Qs.
2: Yeah, you, you always root for the health of the conference when you're not playing those other teams. And Bayheim talks a lot about that too. So let's dig into this Florida State game. Syracuse is the favorites in this one. There's a chance for another marquee win, I believe. Um, where, where's Florida State? Sitting NET. I'm going to check into that real quick. But as far as what you want to see Syracuse adapt from that road trip, what are they going to need to beat Florida State, you think? Uh,
1: Well, obviously, they'll need the shooting. uh, You know, so uh, Frank Howard and Tyus Battle, uh, something that they didn't do, and we talked a little bit about against. Virginia Tech was that they didn't step up and take care of the ball. They didn't step up and initiate offense the way they needed to. And this Florida State team is long, and they're athletic. They're actually six 6'7", uh, their average height when weighted by the minutes, which is the same as Syracuse, which ranks towards the top of the country. Um, their wings are long, and they're physical, and they're going to be pestering our ball handlers all night. Uh, so the guards are really going to have to you know, take care of the ball, play physically if that's what it takes on the offensive end, obviously without fouling or pushing off, Mm -hmm. and make sure that we're just getting into offense and attacking because although uh, Florida State likes to pack it in on defense, Syracuse can't just settle. The second that Syracuse starts just settling for threes, Florida State's got us where where they want us.
2: And that's what I talk about, taking threes versus generating threes. When you're not getting inside looks, I think you can just start hucking up threes. And that's what a lot of teams do in these situations. They'll just throw it up. And a lot of teams do this against Syracuse, too. So the key player with Florida State really is uh, Cabenjale, their center. Massive body, 6'10", 250. I was talking to you before this. This is the kind of guy you wish Syracuse could get for the zone (laughs) and the offense because Boeheim says it all the time. He's like, we just can't score inside. A guy like this guy, Thomas with Clemson, would change the team. And he has changed his Florida State team as they burst into the – Top 25 this year. Two straight national
1: tournament appearances. Yeah,
2: and he's a double-figure scorer for them, 13 points a game. But he's also a shot blocker at one block per game. So he's going to really put the pressure on Chuku in this one on the boards on the offensive end, on the defensive end. He's going to take up a lot of that matchup inside. You're worried about fouls in that sense, and then you're worried about how often does Syracuse try to get into that interior because they're going to need to hit threes to win this one. Can you get into the interior to generate those looks because we know that's where you have to get to actually...
1: Get the good looks on the outside, right? Yeah, I've watched a little bit about this uh, of this Florida State team so far this season, and what you see is kind of teams get frustrated by how tough it is to score on the interior. Uh, Florida State actually the second or the best two point percentage against in the ACC, Mm -hmm. Um, so they really make it tough on you the second you step inside the arc. And teams have like teams have grown frustrated. excuse me, Florida State, who has played one less game than most teams in the conference. They've played eight games. Most teams are at their midway point with nine. Uh, they've given up this, or teams have shot the second most three-point attempts against them in one less game. So teams are just chucking, and like you're saying, generating threes. Whether it is the screen and roll game that's getting Tyus and Frank rolling downhill and kicking out to Hughes and Buddy Bayheim at the three-point line, It's just you're not going to—you can't give that up if you want to expect a score against this Florida State team.
2: And let's flip it over to the Florida State side, too, because I did pick Syracuse in this game, and there's a reason for it, despite my expectation that Cabenzula is going to make Chukwu look silly a few times and there's going to be shots blocked and it's going to be difficult to navigate on the offensive end. I like how Syracuse is going to force Florida State to play in this one, too, because they have their own interior size. O'Shea Bristet recently has been blocking a ton of shots, so his interior defense is rising. It's going to be difficult for them to get into the paint because in their own right, Syracuse has forced... The seventh fewest two-point attempts against them, and that's on the whole entire season basis. So they're doing things similar to what the Florida State has, team has done in a different way. So now what does Florida State do in this sense? You're not able to use the screen and roll game as much against the zone. Uh, you're going to have to get into that interior place to generate their own threes, and they haven't shot the three-ball well in ACC play. I think they're 31%, if I'm correct. Right. So. I, t- I opened the show talking about the way this game is going to be played is going to be interesting because I think both of these teams are going to force the other team to play
1: a particular way. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, first of all, shouts to Leonard Hamilton, uh, longtime coach at Florida State since 2003, taking his guys to two straight national tournament appearances, well on their way to a third here uh, this year. I mean, he'll he'll know how to play against his zone. I mean, they only have one day of practice. Uh, they actually took a rest day yesterday, so they'll get a practice in today. Uh, I think they flew up yesterday, uh, flew, so they'll have one practice in the Dome, likely just more of a walkthrough and some uh, some shooting and stuff. Um, but, yeah, only one day of prep that they get ahead of Syracuse. So you hope that that means that Syracuse can uh, really lock in defensively and force this Florida State team into some tough shots. And
2: that reminds me of when Syracuse was turning around quick from that Game the Pitt game Tech. yeah right into the Virginia Tech game and we saw what a disaster that was as far as planning for what was going to be coming at them so yeah. that's probably another reason Syracuse is favored in this one
1: yeah yeah you definitely could be right you keep that narrative going um, otherwise like on the Florida State side you got Terrence Mann senior guard he'll be tough he's shooting forty one percent from three look out for him if if uh, Florida State's splashing it's probably Terrence Mann Phil Kofer who uh, had a foot injury earlier this season. Um, he scored 16 against Syracuse when Syracuse played uh, the Seminoles in Tallahassee last year. He also had five boards, so he's a pretty good, pretty good uh, rebounder for a small forward shooting guard type. Um, yeah, but otherwise, you know, Florida State's going to be a tough matchup, man. Another opportunity for a quad one win. Yeah, and
2: it's it's going to be a fun matchup, I think. There's going to be Some interesting game planning at play here. It'll be interesting to see how both of these teams attack each other. And if we're throwing it back to last year again, that game was a ton of fun, though. An overtime thriller, one that Syracuse I still think should have had. Brian Angola is moving on. He was the leading scorer from last year with 24 in that one. He's playing for the Lakeland Magic now, so we bid him good fortune in the G League. And he has moved on, but they still have those slashing quality wings that you talk about. Not a high assist rate team, which is interesting to look at, too, from this perspective. They're going to attack you more head-on.
1: A lot of isolation. Yeah, and
2: especially at the center spot, too, because this guy, Kabinjale, he's taking threes. He's spotting up that center a lot in the highlight tape we just watched. So his approach is going to be interesting from this as well because we know he's going to get that position on the low block. Is he going to be able to generate outside looks passing from that? That's a question on the Florida State end. This is weird because Florida State's a top 25 team. The Orange are playing well. I feel like they both go into this a little uncomfortable
1: with how the other team's going to come at them. Right, definitely. And so talking quadrants here, so this is an opportunity for a quad one win. And so Syracuse, 16-6 overall, just to remind you folks uh so the pit r- win on the road was originally a quad one win. Got yeah. bumped down to a... <laughs> I
2: sadly saw that fall. I was like,
1: we'll see how long this one will last as Q one. Yeah, it got bumped down to a quad two when uh Pitt fell from seventy four or seventy five to like seventy nine yeah. in the net rankings. <laughs> uh, so you knew that one wasn't
2: gonna hold up for too
1: long. It right. lasted about two days. <laughs> so Syracuse two and two against quad one teams, uh, which are you know, that's based on home road uh matchup plus the team's ranking uh three and two against quadrant two seven and two against quadrant three and four and oh against quadrant four this one will slot in as a quadrant one game uh regardless of uh what happens to florida state moving forward because they won't fall far enough out to be outside of the first quadrant um talk uh talk some syracuse rankings syracuse slots in at 42 in the net rankings um Forty-two last week too, so it didn't move anywhere despite a two and zero week. Uh, Ken Palm has us at thirty-five. I kind of, I, you know, Ken Palm rankings are always pretty flattering to Syracuse uh, because you know they they wait. Uh, our defensive efficiency is always very high, yeah. and so uh, it makes Syracuse look like an especially good team. Um, and kind of kind of like pointing to that come tournament time, like, oh, that defense, defensive efficiency, huh? I'm going to hold people under 65 points. All you got to do is it's a race to 60, you know, yeah. as long as Syracuse gets there.
2: And, and they've still played that way in quite a few games this year. I mean, the pick game became that in the second half. But as they become more capable of rushing to 70 and balancing their defensive dominance with some offensive push that gives them a little bit of a lead, I mean, what was the story of the pick game? It was really Tyus not giving them the contributions and them still coming away with a fairly cozy victory. I think the embodiment of that was that first half through, like, the 13-minute mark. They had built a double-digit lead with no points from Tyus at all and they're holding pit down to that 15 point range they're racing toward 30 at that point like, that, that's when this team could really be something special is when they're able to set a defensive foundation early in these games and then build a lead with that using their offense.
1: Like, that is what they weren't able to do last yeah. year. O'Shea Brissett really stepped into that secondary scoring role. <laughs> and it's
2: he, a, we're, we're approaching 30 minutes. We should not have mentioned him this late in the show. Right,
1: yeah, we talked about him for a second there, but, like, this dude deserves some credit, right? Like, he stepped up and became that secondary scorer that Syracuse was expecting him to be. Uh, From the get go, this season hasn't been, which people have been disappointed about. But I mean, man, there is sometimes there's no one on the floor that can guard him when he faces up, especially when he and I. I, So I see, I see your tweets, guys. Uh, (laughs) People out there, Um, I see you complaining about him just throwing up shots. You know, I see your comments about him just chucking up shots when he drives. But what'd you see from him last game? Attacking under control, going right up into the chest of players, getting himself to the free throw line a couple times. He was playing real well, man. He was under control. Not sh- He showed the capability of a shot, right? But it wasn't his first option, his first look. His first look was the attack. And the second that they overplayed his drive, he just had a dunks, nice, uh, didn't he hit a three-pointer? Where he had a nice, like, long two-pointer, I yeah. remember. And it was a nice deep two. I mean, I hate deep two-pointers, but he showed off the jump shot a little bit after team started overplaying the draft.
2: Yeah, and he's taking less of those three-pointers of late, I'm noticing. He's down from where he'll take three or four a game to where he's taken one or two recently. So he is trying to position himself more toward the basket, which we've seen him try to do on a varied basis this year. And one thing we talked about on an earlier episode of this was him... Trying to force those shots up inside, being off balance, not actually shooting to make a shot, but just trying to get it up in that area and forcing contact a lot of the times, too. In the pick game, he looked balanced on the drive a lot when he's on those straight line drives he's able to get in a better position going into the rim rather than when he's trying to post up or just work directly in that area so he's going to be someone to continue to watch because i've said all year they've they've improved themselves so much offensively without him imagine what they could be with him and on a night where battle wasn't present it was essential that he was a top priority scorer for them and they were able to get him positioned closer to the basket. He grabbed more rebounds because of that, and he became that double-figure scorer he could be again. I mean, Gutierrez wrote a good piece in the D.O. about how he's starting to come back into the form that he had last year. Friend of the program, Matthew Gutierrez. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And Mike Waters commented on it as well, how they're starting to get more from him. So they become a whole different team if he's just giving them more scoring balance
1: up and down the sheet for sure yeah definitely and I mean I guess I guess we could wrap up on the Brissett talk there right like I mean we know that he's going to be someone we got to keep an eye out for uh especially going forward because he could be the difference between this team being um you know a first weekend NCAA tournament team and a team that moves beyond that Uh, especially if he could step up in those games. And
2: we saw him be that difference last year, him and Howard in particular, two guys who have struggled all year and are just starting to come around. I mean, that three's coming up for Howard, too. We didn't talk about that enough on this program, how his shot's starting to come around. Mm. So you're getting layers of scoring from this team. Now, I think the only thing left for us to do before we get out of here is give some awards.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. We got some awards. One quick note before we get to awards. Yes or no on the pit jerseys? Oh no! I was saying that during the game. Oh, I don't like them. Man. I don't like them. Go with no. the navy. You're a
2: navy logo. You're a navy program. No. Don't try to force yellow down our throats. Yellow is a naturally ugly color.
1: No, come on, man. You didn't like the Rams jerseys for the Super Bowl?
2: There was some blue offset in it. Too much yellow in the pit ones. Oh, dude.
1: All right, maybe maybe you're right, but. Pit going from that navy and gold over to that uh, like royal and yellow. I like I like going back to the retro jerseys. I was a fan. Also, the platinum. I know the platinum uh, outline. The platinum. What do you want to call it on the Syracuse jerseys? Yeah. I know that's not a uh, not very popular over at Noons, but I'm a fan, man. You so it stood out to you because that pit change
2: stands out. I don't notice anything different with Syracuse. No?
1: Like oh, all right. So I, I'm a detail guy, I guess. I was looking, I was looking at the jerseys, and I'm a, I'm a fan of the platinum. But you know what's the biggest difference for me? Well, obviously, it's a big difference for everyone. But the stripes on the pants, why are we getting rid of them? The, the stripes on the pants are a nice addition. I feel like it gives us some swag to our jerseys. And our jerseys don't look great. The orange ones don't look great on TV. I mean, they're nice. They're nice in person. I'm not saying that they're ugly jerseys. They just – sometimes they don't look great in TV, especially in certain lighting. And then you're going to ditch the nice white stripes that we have, like, and then just make it even more orange, the orange that doesn't look good on TV? Uh, That was absurd to me. I'm I'm not happy about it.
2: I'm all fine with prioritizing the orange, white, and to the third degree platinum because – Platinum fits more with those other colors than the blue does. And sometimes this program tries to force the blue, the gray a little bit too much. We could have a whole football discussion about that. (laughs) But, you know, with this team, give me orange, white, platinum because there's so much other blue out there right pit itself is a navy blue team we don't need any blue around here too many blue sweat sweatshirts on
1: campus man you're gonna you're gonna rile me up here like i i was just talking to people before the season started about tennessee and how tennessee does the orange so nicely because they don't try to force anything else into it it's just the orange and white it's very clean it's very classy it's a different orange and i like our orange better but the volunteer orange white combo it's pretty nice uh so let's talk awards. So this is a new segment that we're going to introduce, a new talking orange segment. Uh and we'll come up with these week by week. Maybe maybe we'll end up with some consistent ones, maybe we won't. Um do you want to do you want to give an award first?
2: Yeah, so why not introduce Wait, the then. milk carton award with this team? We know they're inconsistent. We know they're going to appear when we, expect them, when we don't expect them to and sometimes disappear when we think they're going to be there most. And one guy who we've been talking all year about being there on a night-in, night-out basis, the players talk about it too. It's amazing how this guy's there every game. It's Elijah Hughes, double-figure scorer, pretty much every game through the end of non-conference all the way into the conference play. And the last few nights... It hasn't gone as well for him. I, he's a two-for-nine two shooter at Pittsburgh. Ever since he lit up Miami, the threes haven't been falling from him at as high of a rate. And as far as that secondary scoring goes, it hasn't been as a reliable factor of them. So I'm wondering where he's been so far. You could say the same for Chukwu a little bit. Where is he in the second half of that pit one? But we expect that from him more. Right For Hughes... The inconsistency settling in for him is just a minor story in, right now, and I guess it's fitting it's at the end of the show, but it is something worth talking about. Right, Mill
1: Carton Award obviously alluding to the, uh, to the – the pictures, you know, that used to go on old milk cartons for our younger audience here. Uh, have you seen? And then let's put a – someone get us a Photoshop. If you're listening out there and you got Photoshop skills, Photoshop us a picture of uh, Elijah Hughes's face on a milk carton. So he's had, what, 21 points on 8 of 33 shooting or something like that over the last three games. Um, not That's not good. Uh, so let's, let's bring back the Elijah Hughes that we were seeing uh, prior to the Virginia Tech game. He's also turned the ball over seven times over the last three games. So we're going to need to see a little more out of him, especially in this pivotal matchup with Florida State when we're going to need outside shooting. To prevail in this one. And we'll talk
2: about this topic as it continues to develop if it does, but you mentioned after the Virginia Tech game, which was another one he struggled in, they forced him to go the other way, they forced him to put the ball on the floor, two things that he isn't particularly skilled at. Teams are just starting to see the tape of him at this level for the first time. I'm sure not a lot of guys have dug into the East Carolina tape. Yeah. So... (laughs) There's more, there's more of a case on this guy. There's more of a knowledge that he's going to be one of the guys coming at you when the Orange play you. Mm. So we'll see how teams handle him, especially the better defensive teams that Syracuse is going to start to see later in the season. Definitely. And I don't mean to pat
1: myself on the back here, but, you well, know. It was an early I, recognition. I did, I did write an article on O'Shea Brissett, kind of talking a little bit about his struggles and why he might be struggling. And then what did he do? came and bounced back for us this last week. Does that mean I have to write an article about Elijah Hughes?
2: You might as well, because that <laughs> Virginia Tech game was telling. I'm not sure if the, he struggled for the same reasons in the following games, but it was the start of something there, and it might just be as simple as teams are starting to key in on him more as a vital part of this
1: matchup. All right, yeah, so moving on. I got two awards to give out, and the first one is called the Finesse Award. And, now,
2: and this is brilliant story.
1: Brilliant. Yeah, so if you didn't catch it, G-Mac, Jerry McNamara on the sidelines, was talking with the referee uh, during a timeout. And then he actually got like some good airtime. It was about 10 seconds that they, they showed G-Mac talking to the refs. Um, he was obviously in the ref's ear about how uh, the player from Pitt, I can't remember his name right now, was kicking out on his three-pointers yeah, to I try to Howard. get himself fouled. Mm-hmm. And so Brissett got called for it once. And then the very next time it happened, the player kicked out, and Howard thought he got called for the foul. Mike Waters wrote a nice piece about this, uh, of Syracuse.com, by the way. Uh, Howard thought he got called for the foul and was about to flip out. Um, But no, the Pittsburgh player got called for a foul. So first of all, props to the ref for making that call. Second of all, congratulations to Jerry McNamara on winning the Finesse Award (laughs) <laughs> for his work put in on this uh, on this call. And the three-point foul call is such a vital one. It's
2: almost basketball's version of pass interference that those plays have become one of the more highlighted on both levels, the NBA and college basketball, when it comes to referees getting these right. And you'll see the biggest of guys... Maybe we'll even see Florida State Center spotting up a three-point. If they even get a little bit of a graze, they're going down like they weigh two pounds because they're trying to get that call. They'll kick legs out. They'll do anything it takes. Lean into guys, which is something you see more in the NBA. So any time that you see that come back to haunt them, it's a victory for the fans.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so obviously, uh, Finesse Award, GMAC. Nice work, dude. Um, And then I've got another award, uh, very elegantly named the That Man Has a Family Award and this one goes to O'Shea Brissett for what's the word here? pulverizing. Yeah, pulverizing. I didn't wanna I didn't wanna go explicit here. For pulverizing a shot attempt by uh, by Malik Ellison uh right back into his face. Malik Ellison went up with some weak shot on his way down, layup at the rim, and O'Shea Brissett swatted that shot right back into his face it was a violent block and three multi-block games for Brissett this year that,
2: which is something I noticed after that game it was a two-block game for him he's defending that post area more and more as he plays power forward he's a shot blocker he's a dunker he's a shot blocker he's a big play highlight type of guy that's gonna help
1: him one day mm, definitely yeah get him <laughs> get him to the league uh so quick quick another segment stat of the week this one will be real quick. Uh, this is from James Zuba and Pete Moore. Um, Tyus Battle, in the last two years, has scored six or fewer points in just five games over the last two years. Just five games. It's not a lot, folks. And so, uh, Pete Moore, uh, James Zuba tweeted out that uh, initial um, tweet, that initial stat, follow him on Twitter, at James Zuba. Pete Moore, what is Pete Moore's role? Director of Communications yeah. for the basketball program or athletics program? He, quote, tweeted James and said, oh, well, well hey now, Syracuse is actually 5-0 and in those games. So, I think that Pete Moore might have felt <laughs> it, it
2: takes us back to one of our favorite hot takes early this year was that Syracuse doesn't need battle. Isn't that what this means? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, let's let's call it that. Syracuse doesn't need our best
2: player. In all seriousness though, and this is a good way to wrap this, let's continue to watch how he handles that point guard spot because I think that battle point guard lineup, which is, you know, essentially their bench lineup at this point. It's been used so much. Let's see how that's used and how they handle and how he handles the extra pressure going forward because that adds another layer to what he needs to do. Mm. He's scoring about a less a point less per game than he did last year. They're piling up responsibilities on him, and he can handle it. He's shown it, and I think that's been a good lineup for them. But it just makes teams key more and more and more in on him, and Pittsburgh was all over him as far as pressure goes. It made it an off-balance night for him. So as he gets off-balance, the team becomes more off-balance, and... It could give rise to a night like Brissette's where he was able to salvage the game for them and Howard was fantastic as well. But there might be nights where they just have to do it different ways and we know... Nothing's consistent, nothing's as expected with this orange basketball team, and that lineup's <laughs> gonna only make it
1: that much worse, for good and for bad. Yeah, for sure. And I mean I'll maybe I'll still hold on to my Tice Battle NBA draft uh, conspiracy theory here that he <laughs> <laughs> that he wanted to prove that he wanted to be a uh, a distributor, but probably not. Um so anyway, that'll that'll wrap it up here. Um for Bobby Manning, for noonsmagician.com. I'm Dylan Finer. You can find me on Twitter at defines 31
2: I'm at RealBobManning. And let me know if you're be- a brave soul betting on this
1: one because I want to hear about it. At Real Bob Manning. Yes, follow the blog on Twitter, at Noon's Magician. Uh, and we are the Talkin' Orange podcast. This is uh, an episode of the Talkin' Orange podcast called Unpeeling Syracuse Basketball. Follow the podcast on Twitter, at Talkin' Orange. We'll have gifs up of games that I'm sitting in front of my computer. Um, probably not tomorrow night moving forward, though.
2: And shout out to James Zuba. You want to follow his accounts as well uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, everywhere else. He gives you a great inside look at the road games. That's YouTube videos. That's pictures of him sitting on the logo after the game. (laughs) Sometimes some roundtable discussions. So don't neglect the road beat reports that we give you as well. We give you pretty much every angle around
1: here. Yeah, definitely. So all right, guys, that'll wrap it up. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, let's go orange.